0: That's noom.com to sign up for your trial today.
1: Hey, what's up, everyone? This is the On the Farm podcast coming at you on the Picture List Podcast Network. I am your host, Kyle Brown, here to do. My best to give you insights into all things minor league baseball, prospecting, dynasty fantasy baseball. You can follow the show on Twitter and get updates about episodes by following at OnTheFarmPL. And you can find me on Twitter at Caught Looking, spelled the Roman way. That's with a V instead of a U. I'm joined today by the one and only Adam Lawler. Adam has graciously agreed to come on the pod with me today, despite this being my first time hosting a podcast so adam appreciate you falling on that sword and coming out with me tonight how are you uh living over there on the east
0: coast everything's going great man life's life's good right now it's been a it's been a wild 2021 so far but i'm glad that we are back and podcasting this is going to be awesome and and i'm glad to be here um on your maiden voyage i appreciate that man i appreciate that yeah we uh
1: it certainly has been a, a weird beginning to 2020. I guess just rolling, you know, weird beginning to 2021, just rolling on from 2020. But we have baseball around the corner, barring any unforeseen things. So it's exciting, man. We've been mocking like crazy at pitcher list. So and you were part of the dynasty startup mock we just did with a bunch of smart people. Um, a lot of fun making up some fake teams that we will sadly never see come to fruition, but such is the pain and the joy of mock drafting. So uh Yeah, let me just jump right in here and try to get a foundation for your thinking heading into this sort of thing. When you do a dynasty startup, what is your strategy going in? You know, what kind of window are you looking for in terms of competing? Are you just all win now? Are you pushing it off? What's
0: your approach? So it kind of depends, right? Like what my feeling is at the time and and the league itself, right. I think uh, if you are going into your first dynasty, um, that is something that is so exciting and uh, people love getting into their first dynasty team and, and really starting it and building it from the ground up. Having that vision and what you wanna do is is uh, always a, you go into something and you have a plan and then if you always have to maneuver around that plan and, and readjust. Um, what I like to do is I, I have a couple dynasty teams that I built from the ground up and each one of them, I kind of deployed a different strategy going into it uh, just to kind of mess around and see what those draft draft strategies were like. My favorite one to do, and, and one that I um, that we'll get into later on that I kind of deployed in this mock draft is to draft young early, draft the Uber prospects and try to build up a farm in the earliest rounds, get those highest, the, the cream of the crop prospects, and then try to backfill your roster with older guys because you can find value in those uh, 30, 30 to through 35 year old players who nobody wants to draft until the end. And all of a sudden, you're picking up Michael Brantley and, you know, uh, Hyunjin Ryu, uh, players like that. Um, that you can populate your roster with and have a competitive team potentially in, in a you know 12 to 16 team dynasty while wishing and dreaming on the future. so that's kind of one of my more uh, enjoyable strategies when when developing from the ground up.
1: yeah i, uh, I, I that's definitely clear from uh, from the results of your draft for sure I'm very I'm curious to dive into that uh, that wander Franco 10th overall pick for sure. but yeah I, I sort of come at it like, I want to get as many, I want to win now. I've, I've sort of become a, a fan of the, let me try to win now, but balance it a little bit with youth. So I go into the dynasty startup with the idea that I want to get a lot of those top prospects, but I want to focus maybe a little bit more on prospects that are just about to emerge and then try to get that core of young hitters that are 24, 25, 26, ideally with an idea of, of competing in the first two or three years with enough firepower in those assets to sell them off in year two or three with, while they still retain quite a bit of value and sort of push a lot of talent into my farm with those types of trades after giving myself a little bit of a window. And then I also tend to, to sort of punt pitching a little bit. You can't punt pitching obviously all the way, all the way down, but, um, I'm looking to really load up my hitters and then focus on I'll go old. I'm happy to go old. I mean, most of the best pitchers in baseball these days are over 30. We still have obviously some, some young bucks out there killing it like Shane Bieber and Zach gallon and stuff like that. But you look at Garrett Cole, you look, I mean, we were a year removed from Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Jacob deGrom, all these guys are 30 plus. So I, I tend to sort of let everyone else take some of those younger pitchers early, and I think we saw Shane Bieber go in the first round in this mock. Um, and and you know, I, th- I those those players I think are undervalued in dynasty, and yet they they tend to be some of the most reliable. Much like your Michael Brantley hitter, I'm going to be real happy. Um, I, frankly, I was excited to to get Charlie Borden in this draft, even knowing that he's going to not likely not even play in 2022, but he could return near ACE uh, productivity in, in 2021 for me. So that was sort of my strategy. I wanted to go in and I, I feel like I executed it pretty well. And with, with, with whatever the room was doing, I was able to get a pretty young core in my infield and my outfield, still nab some top prospects, but ones that were like just about to come up like uh, Kirilov, and, and, uh, and Dylan Carlson and Cabrian Hayes, guys that are still technically prospect eligible for Dynasty Leagues, even if they've been off the, uh, you know, the actual MLB prospect list because of service time. But yeah, that's, uh, that's sort of my approach. I'm curious, though, you want to get those Uber prospects early. You want to build that farm. Does the loss season for minor league baseball, let's say you're doing a real Dynasty startup this year. How does that last season work for you? You know, what are you, what are you worried about when it comes to building those prospects and that farm with, with a lack of information uh, from the last year? You know, is there anything that, that with, with the, the total complete loss of the minor league season, you changed up?
0: Uh, you know, a, a little bit, when I saw that question that you posed, I, I started thinking about it quite a bit. And I think that that was part of my calculation going into this, right, is is I did not go after, uh, you know, there aren't as, as much, there isn't as much information out there uh, for your prop up or pop up prospects, uh, like they like usually would. So you're kind of sticking with what you know, and those cream of the crop prospects potentially in my mind, have more value now than they had in, in previous years, right? Because you know what Wander Franco is going to do. You are familiar with Julio Rodriguez. Those are names uh, that came up uh, in 2020 or in 2019, I'm sorry, in 2019, uh, and were already valuable at that time. So when, I, when you think about these future players, and, and I actually ended up drafting one in Zach Veen, who I think will be a, a very highly touted prospect, despite his uh, organization that he's affiliated with, um, kind of being more questionable, more suspect than they were in the past. So I think, uh, kind of going to those safe harbors, you know, I, Zach Veens more volatile. Wander Franco's a bond, you know, like you're, you're, you're investing in a safe Harbor with, with a Wander Franco or a Julio Rodriguez, a CJ Abrams, um, more so than you had in the past. Uh, and, and there is more value in finding some other guys. And, and I know that, uh, you know, you, you had said before that you're interested in talking about my, my prospect heavy approach, It'll be interesting. I, I kind of want to push back on that a little bit, just judging by my roster and what I ended up uh, taking on. But yes, f- to answer your question directly, right? you want to find those uber prospects now early in these types of drafts than you had in the past. And there's going to be more volatility in the next year, first year player drafts of your leagues or in the waiver wires coming up as these minor league teams get underway and more uh, players start showing out and what they did, how they adjusted their uh, motion, their uh, swing plane, anything like that during the lost season of 2020 for minor leaguers. So I think that there's going to be uh, more of an opportunity for people to pick up um, surprise prospects this year than there ever has been in the past.
1: Yeah, I I can, I can definitely see that. I I think, you know, in a lot of the dynasty leagues that I'm currently in, I I was sort of on the fence with regard to pushing in all my chips and going for it, or you know, selling for uh, for the farm, and and you know, pushing you know, being competitive off a couple of years. And I generally made the decision to to sell off as much of the farm as possible for the opportunity to win now this year. And sort of similar to what you're saying, I I, I did that because. I am confident, at least in my ability with with some of the leagues that I'm playing in and with the, the people that I'm playing with, that I'll be able to push all those chips in for the sake of this year and next year, and then be able to restock my farm system a little bit more effectively because I can capitalize on the lack of information and I can use what I knew or what I, you know, what I researched in 2019, there is some new information. I can dig deep on the alternate site stuff. Um, and I can, you know, just try to out-research my, the, the people who are going to say, ah, we have no minor league data. So what am I supposed to do? And, you know, I'm going to go to various sites. I'm going to get as much information as possible. And my hope is that that'll allow me to, yeah, to, to, to capitalize on what other people were not able to find or willing to find. And I can find a lot more of those diamonds in the rough, um, in the near future, you know, sort of with the chaos of, of the lost season. So it's interesting. Um, and ideally, and and hopefully we get, we get a season this year and there'll be a lot, there's going to be a lot of quote unquote pop-up prospects this year because we just don't know exactly, we haven't seen in games what they've been able to do, um, you know, at the alternate site or just who was able to work their butt off, um, at home, you know, they didn't get to the alternate site, but what did they do? I know some, some pitchers and players went to independent leagues here and there to try to get reps. And, you know, there's a little bit of, of report, uh, from, from those types of places that you can try to get information from, but people were still playing baseball and it's going to be interesting to see who really was able to, to progress, you know, distinct parts of their games, despite not actually playing in real time, you know, minor league baseball games. Um, yeah, yeah you're gonna
0: have you're gonna have narratives come out, right? You're gonna have all of these narratives come out. I'm always a little leery about this idea of like, oh, what happened at the alternate sites because who's watching those guys those that those are the scouts that drafted them. those are the the organizational de- development people that want to pump up their guys and tell the everybody that they're wonderful and great uh, so that they can have promise for the future. but inevitably there is going to be that narrative out there of, you know, player X went to driveline and figured out how to gain two miles per hour on his fastball or throw a nasty curve or whatever it might be that that really could amp up or pump up uh, value in rather unknown or lower rated uh, prospects uh, given their time off in, in 2020. So there are so many unknowns there are so many unknowns when it comes to prospects and it might perpetuate into this coming year. So I don't, I, can I ask you a quick question if that's okay? Oh, of course, please. Sure. So, so uh, you have your first year player drafts coming up. Let's just assume that you don't have a league right now, right? Or, or you have a league that's established and you have first year player drafts coming up. How many players do you really see in that first year player draft coming up right now that you're interested in, like in the first round, where does it fall off? Um you know
1: it's interesting I going over sort of the very you know the five round draft that we got this year which was weird in and of itself um what I sort of gravitated to was overslot picks um so trying to find those overslot picks and to try to use that as an indicator of this team wanted to figure out a way to make sure they got this guy um so people that I'm not necessarily high on him specifically, but like a blaze Jordan, right? Like he got a lot more cash uh, than his slot. Um, and, and that's what I'm going to sort of look at who really was targeted by some of these teams, sort of like Hudson head was, you know, you uh, know, uh, a, a couple of drafts back, where he was given a big overslot uh, bonus in the third round. So I'm going to look for that for an indicator. But honestly, going over the draft, sort of in its minutia, the first two rounds. After those first two rounds, it starts to get a little bit thin, and it starts to be a little bit more dart throwy um, for the most part. So I, I definitely found a couple of guys I like in those in that second round, but it drops off pretty quickly. It definitely drops off pretty quickly, and more than ever before. I'm looking at the organization more than ever before. I'm looking at who got this guy and what can they do with him? with the potential of more lost time or, or anything like that, or a total restructuring of the minor, of minor league baseball, all these things, all those question marks, I look for stability. So I'm looking at those Dodgers prospects. I'm looking at those Cleveland prospects. Uh, you know, there's a player for, for the twins. Uh, they drafted Alaric Sulari. I believe I'm saying that right, but it's very possible that I'm not. Um, and that's, he's a, he's a bat first profile outfielder who doesn't necessarily have a great handle on defense and that's the kind of person that the twins have been really, really effective in developing recently. So I'm looking for matches in that way. Um, and yeah, that's that's sort of how I'm attacking the first year player draft. Another way I'm attacking the first year player draft this year is just trading all my picks away. Yeah. Um, that's that's really you know if you look at a lot of the dynasties that I'm in, I sold almost all of my picks this year, mm-hmm. um, except for a couple maybe late rounders where I feel like I can I can still find some value, which isn't even necessarily players from this year's draft, but it's players that uh, were forgotten, not taken the year before. And now there's no information on them. I didn't even have enough picks. There's a lot of guys that I just didn't have enough picks to take in certain formats. And this year, because they weren't able to come out and do well in low A or rookie ball or whatever, they're still available and nobody has any idea about them. You know, A good example of that uh, this year, I would say, is is Gunnar Henderson. People definitely have an idea about him right now because there's been a lot of chatter about his exit velocity, his launch angle and his progression at the alternate site. And I do share your trepidation about the alternate site reports, right? Because it's like asking parents about how their kids did in the school play. It's like, oh, of course they were amazing. They were the best uh, on stage. Didn't you see them? We were all there watching them. And it, it is tough to uh, to just take at stock and at face value those alternate training site reports, because who are they being given? It's like you said, who's given them to me? And what is the level of criticism and scrutiny that, that they're going under before they, they, they just come out? And are we all just starved for information that we're willing to take that and just go crazy? Um, so yeah, and you're seeing that a little bit with Wanda Franco um, in that Oh, he's got weird exit velocities and oh, his launch angle is a little bit low and and maybe we should be down on him. If Wander Franco last year had completely destroyed double no one would be talking about vaulting Kellenick or Julio Rodriguez above him, unless one of them managed to hit 40-40 or something and just set the world on fire themselves so You got to be able to play with those market inefficiencies, Um, but yeah, to answer your question, if if you know when when the rubber meets the road for me this year, I traded away all those picks, and I I just pushed it down the road for for to try to capitalize on the chaos.
0: Right, and that's I think that that kind of underscores the sentiment of nobody really knows right now because there was no data, there was no information that really came out from 2020, and so everybody's just kind of like, all right, well, every it's a guess at this point. We're all kind of shooting in the dark because there's really very little stats that go out there. So I, again, go back to this idea that I'm going to emphasize the highest of the high and, and then everything else is kind of a crapshoot at that point because you don't have that information. So, yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page there.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, and I also tried to, you know, there's a lot of guys that came up last year that would, you know, for, for lack of a better term, they faltered, right? So like a Dylan Carlson you look at that stat line from what he, from what he came up and did, and it's not good, but then you dig a little bit deeper. Maybe you see that he came up was bad, went back down, came back to the big league club and, 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 you know, did pretty well. His value for a lot of people is probably going to be depressed by a teeny, teeny little sample. And I'm not going to, you know, buy into thinking that just because he came up in a weird season uh, and didn't light the world on fire in 20 games I'm not really going to take that to the bank, you know, like Jared Oliva for the pirates came up and, and, you know, was poor in like seven at bats like throw that out. Like, I'm not really, you know, concerned about that for the, for his value going forward. And if someone is wanting to, to, to knock him for that, I'll, I'll throw an offer out there, you know, that I would consider low ball, but maybe they don't because they took 10 at bats and they ran with it.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I'm curious. You know, we did this mock. Um, we got a lot of people that are sort of deep dynasty stuff. We got, you know, Shelley in there. Um, we got Huth. Uh, we got Nate Handy. We got Andy Padden. We got Sheer, who you put it on. I'm just sort of curious. Were there any general takeaways as it was happening? Where you that you know, you're like, oh, I did not expect it to go this way, or or whatever it was. I'm just sort of curious if you have any some general thoughts.
0: Well, it was, it was the first off, right? There was there's the question of who went first and uh shelly uh had the the honor of going first she took no surprise juan soto yeah um so i i you know the question of soto or acuna in my mind or even tatis junior at this point in time i guess would be another person to consider in that first pick uh i would always go acuna uh 10 out of 10 times over soto But I mean, it's always interesting to see how other people approach it. I I found the Soto Acuna Tatis Jr. 1, 2, 3, with Trout and Betts following thereafter, kind of in lockstep with what I'd expect it to be. um, Maybe a mixture between those, between that group. Um, Mike Trout going four is always interesting, right? Because he's. for proverbial best player in baseball, always and forever. Uh, So watching him go to fourth in lieu of, of the young up and comingers is is interesting. The, where I got surprised, uh, Ethan Kaplan taking Garrett Cole in the sixth, sixth slot uh, was surprising to me. Um, You know, I think Jose Ramirez going seventh with Nate Handy was a little bit surprising to me given kind of his uh, Rocky year what was that 2019 but kind of coming back in 2020? Uh, so I, I don't know. I think probably would consider other names well before Jose Ramirez. I think I'd probably drop him around later. Um, but obviously, I, I know that my Wander Franco selection at 10 uh generated a little conversation. Um, but then Andy coming in at the end, right, and taking Jacob de Gram at the 12th pick was also kind of surprising. So seeing two. You know, 30-year-old pitchers in a 12-team dynasty startup going in the first round uh, was a little surprising to me. I think you and I are both on the same wavelength when we we will punt pitching and let let it come to us eventually, um, and not emphasize that so heavily, just because pitching seems way more volatile than uh, than hitters. So, so seeing those uh, two names go in the first round were surprising, uh, as well as. Um, you know, the idea that Jose Ramirez went seventh, but yep, that's it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I was, I was pretty shocked by the Garrett Cole pick um, and the DeGrom pick as well. It, and, and pitching is more volatile, and I feel like especially young pitching, right? I mean, at least with Cole and DeGrom, you are going to get that production most likely. Jose Ramirez in a five-by-five, five, it doesn't surprise me necessarily, but then you look at who was passed up. Uh, And I I guess I'm sort of surprised that Trey Turner didn't go before Jose Ramirez, because as much as you're and he went, uh, he went just before just before the wheel. And after your Wanda Franco pick, you know, Turner's got a little bit of that injury history stuff that that sort of sticks with him. But Ramirez, for whatever Trey Turner is, he's never been bad when he plays. So Ramirez having that spell where he was frankly unrosterable and I'm, I'm guaranteeing he lost people head to head championships for sure that year. Um, or, or I guess it was the, the, the first half that he was just so terrible, but yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. I think it shows the value that people ascribe to steals, uh, when it comes to Jose Ramirez, it's, they really, you know, there's very few guys out there who can really put up 30, 30 seasons. He's one of them. I, I guess, yeah, I, I was surprised by that. Um, and I, I really liked, you sniped me in the second round for sure, because I, I, you know, in a startup dynasty, I'm looking at Boba as sort of the perfect mixture of youth production, you know, and projection. And so I was licking my chops when that second round pick was coming around and I was going to grab Boba I ended up going with Laguerreo Jr. in the first round. I think he's still going to be quite, special when it's all said and done. I'm not ready to, to sort of cage him in the production that he's, that he's put out so far to, to think that he was an 80 grade overall talent by Baseball America, the only one they've ever put out. And then he came up, he's gotten there purely on just raw talent, right? Like, as he said himself, he's never hit the gym. He's never really had to try to be one of the best hitters at, at the level that he's been at. And he sees what Fernando Tatis is doing and, and sort of bulking up and, and taking that aspect of the game off the field more seriously. We could all be in for, for, for quite something. It's a big risk, but for me also first base is a really bizarrely weak position in fantasy right now. So you see all these shortstops going, these third basemen going you know these pitchers, and I, I'm happy to sort of lock down first base for the next for the next decade with uh, with Vlad, yeah. and then um, yeah, th- there was a weird mixture of of age uh, and versus versus young guys in this one. So that's what I couldn't really get a handle on it because it seemed like so many people people were not necessarily responding to trends. They were pretty blinders on with regard to some of their strategy. At least that's what I saw because I'm sitting there. Like I took Corbin Burns um with my one, two, three for my sixth pick. And I didn't even want to take a pitcher then. I was sitting there being like, you're you're getting crazy. You need some pitching. Like this is getting out of hand. How long can you punt this? And I took Burns and then I didn't take another pitcher for like seven more rounds. Cause I was just mm-hmm. like, this doesn't need to happen. Like I don't, I don't need to do this at all. And I was still able to get Savale, McCullers Jr., Male, um, And, and, and just a lot of young pitching that I think could all could all do quite well. And then some old guys much later on, like, like Charlie Morton, um, So, yeah, that's uh, and and some, you know, some flyers on guys like Domingo German and all that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I'm curious about you. You also ended up with Julio Rodriguez. Um, So you definitely have I mean, you have two of the top three prospects in baseball pretty much across the board, no matter who you talk to. I guess maybe we should say top five to be safe, because there's some people that don't have Julio there um, for the most part. But uh, but yeah, that's I, I think it was it was a draft that continued to surprise me. Yeah. Um, and I was shocked at, at sort of some of the picks later on and who people reached for and who people didn't, um, you know, and I was also interested to see how high some players went that are very, very far away, like Jason Dominguez, you know, Jason Dominguez went, went right near Spencer Torkelson and Alec Baum, two players who are most likely going to be impacting the major league roster. Well, Baum this year, for sure. Torkelson could be up this year.
0: Um, Probably from, not. From, I wouldn't yeah. say so. Detroit's i wouldn't not gonna, detroit's not going to risk that but yeah in, a, in the next two years for sure whereas jason dominguez is you know like 2025 at the early
1: <laughs> yeah right like i don't i don't know i mean he hasn't played a professional game right. so to be able to toss some value like that um without him actually playing a professional game that's i don't know that's uh that's shocking to me um, yeah, but I yeah.
0: Mean, I've, I've gone off about jason dominguez quite a bit in 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 all the areas in, in our public discord uh, and, and how I feel about him. I think, you know, taking him in the seventh round, the 76th overall pick is a huge reach. Uh, He is young. He is, as you said, he has never played a game. And I have, uh, you know, gone, like I said, gone off about the idea of investing too much in international prospects when there's so little, to go off of. If you want Kevin Maitan, uh, Jason Dominguez could end up like Kevin Maitan in a minute. Like that, it just can happen. And and there's been so many international prospects that were pumped up and never panned out, uh, Rusni Castillo. And then there are so many who have been overlooked and now are superstars, Fernando Tatis Jr. And it's because they play in the Dominican. And if anybody acts like they know that this is a good player, They don't, they're, they're lying to you because they have, unless you are sitting there in the Dominican league and you are there for months on end, watching them and eating up tape on them. You just don't know it's a black box. And until they get stateside and really start showing who they are, you can't place a value on them. Not in my mind. I haven't been able to see anybody that has accurately um, projected value for international prospects.
1: Yeah. I feel like it's, it's, it's definitely one of the hardest things to do. I mean, yeah, Ronald Acuna was only given 100K coming right. out, um, that, you know, that type of thing. Uh, I, I don't even remember exactly how little he was paid, but it was something like $15,000 that Starling Marte
0: got right. uh, you know, coming out of there. So- I mean, Vlad Guerrero was a name and people knew him, but he wasn't who he ended up being, right? Like people thought he was okay, but he ended up being phenomenal. Aloy Jimenez is the same way, you know, like people thought he would be good, but they didn't know he was going to be that good. So yeah. it just, it happens. So I, I just, I cannot place uh, heavy value on pumped up international prospects. Not me.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. And it's, it's sort of like, why would I, why would I force myself into a corner and take Jason Dominguez that early when I can take someone who also is highly touted, but it's not played a professional game. Someone like Maximo Acosta or uh, Robert Poisson, you know, or, or Eric, Eric Pena. These are, these are also. Martinez. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, there's, there, there's too much. I'm much, I'm definitely going to gonna try to get in the later rounds. And this was a mock that only went 30 rounds. And I think, you know, generally a lot of dynasties would maybe attack on 10, 15 more, 20 more picks. So there definitely was a lot more to, to be had. There was a lot of talent left at the end of this draft. Um, but I'm going to take all those dart throws late, late in the rounds in a lot of my dynasty leagues. I just, I keep my top pick so I can get that one guy that I'm looking at and then I'm trading everything down and just trying to get volume and uh, the bottom of the draft to try to get all those lottery tickets and see if, if any of them can pop. I, I got Ronald Acuna in the 12th round, the last round of one of my dynasty drafts sort of a year before a lot of the hype began. And granted, I was just stat line scouting at the time. I just saw that this guy just hits everywhere he goes, take a shot on him turned into you know, turned into Ronald Acuna. So right. it, it, that definitely was something that that stuck out to me is that and that speaks to what we we're talking about earlier with just the hype and the lack of information and jason dominguez being the freak and the, the guy you see on twitter but not having any real information other than you know some exit velocities on a on a on a batting cage uh session from from twitter the other day it's just not enough for me to uh to pass up actual reliable production um Yeah.
0: All right. So I want, I want you to uh, explain yourself. We're going to have a session called Kyle's Kyle explains himself. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. All right, Kyle, you're pitching staff, explain yourself. All right. (laughs) Here's what we got. Everybody. Uh, Kyle took Corbin Burns in the sixth round. I think that was a phenomenal value. Incredible. I think that that, that Corbin Burns is the real deal. And you know, when if we were to look back on this in a year after 2020s uh, or 2021s played out, uh, that's going to be an incredible value. Uh, then he takes Aaron Savali in the 13th, Lance McCullers in the 14th, and uh, Tyler Molly in the 15th. Um, and then we go on a little bit farther the 16th, he takes Marcus Stroman, and the 18th, he takes Mitch Keller. Um, Kyle. Explain yourself. Lance McCullers, Tyler, Molly, Marcus Stroman, Mitch Keller, what is going on in your head?
1: Well, the Mitch Keller one is just, I'm a Pirates fan, so I'm desperate for the one, one of the one remaining potentials we have on the major league roster to, uh, you know, to actually be productive. So
0: now listen, as a former host of On the Farm, I'm going to let you know that Chad Kuhl's mom listens to this podcast. So you better apologize right now.
1: Oh, Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Kuehl, let me tell you something. Um, your son's about to be traded um, 100%. And uh, I hope he finds success somewhere that isn't Pittsburgh because I don't think we can give it to him. Those breaking balls are sick. But, uh, you know, I think, I think we're going to be moving him for, for something down the road. So, Mrs. Kuehl, I'm sorry for, uh, for disparaging her anyway. But, uh, but I think, you know, the thing about Keller – Keller is going to be given what, you know, what I wanted to do after getting that Burns uh, sort of locked in and Burns is very risky as well. I, I, there, there's no guarantee that his obliques will hold up. He's never pitched some sort of full season. Like there's a lot of injury risks there. Savale is a guy that I think is, I mean, I believe in Cleveland. I believe in Cleveland's ability to turn middling pitchers into much, much, much better pitchers. And Savale is a guy that's, counteracts Burns because he isn't going to be a, like a huge strikeout dude, but he's able to limit walks pretty successfully. Um, and he's going to pitch a lot of innings per start. So that was sort of, that was sort of my counter there. I think he, I don't think he's going to go full Shane Bieber, but I like what I've seen out of Savale, And then I paired that with the organization and there really is no one who's coming for his job as far as I can see. So that was sort of the Savale. Tyler Molly is one of my, he's, I'm probably going to have every single share of Tyler Molly this year. Um, his advanced metrics look really good. The, the, the walk percentage that he put up last year is when you look at the true walk percentage or the deserved walk percentage, it's much lower. So I think there's some noise there. That's going to put a lot of people off to him. Like they're going to see some gains, but then see that walk percentage and be worried. And again, they, you know, they're losing. He lost out on his job last year to Wade Miley for a period of time, which was very 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 frustrating because um, I think Molly has a lot of potential, especially with elevated fastballs and and you know some very good breaking balls. He pitches in a in a little bit of a bandbox, but he also pitches in arguably the worst division I have ever seen in my history as a baseball fan. That National League Central is rough, and the him being able to play in a full 162 game season, the Reds playing the Pirates 19 times. Is fantastic. Um, the Cubs don't really have much going on. The Cardinals are good, not great. I the Brewers, you know, if if Kesten Hira <laughs> uh, doesn't doesn't turn on the afterburners this year, and and Yelich isn't able to figure it out, I think he will. But there's there's really not that much firepower in the NL Central. I guess is my point, point. and I like what I see in Molly a lot, uh, and I think he has the ability to go a lot of six inning starts and rack up six, seven K's per, you know, per start McCullers. So McCullers is someone who, if you look at those bloom boards that, that show up on Twitter, he had one horrific start last year in Arizona. I, I know because he was on my team and I watched the start and he was lights out for three innings. And then Arizona do, did, did that thing where they open up the roof and there's a little chatter that uh, whenever they do that, it tends to really change the dynamics of the, of the batted balls and McCullers got torched. And I think it was for eight runs and that if you, re- it's one of those things that's it's cherry picking, right. And it's a little bit confirmation biasy admittedly, but if you take that start out and you say, okay, he's probably not going to give up eight runs multiple times in a full season. His numbers look a lot better. Um, and I, he's had enough time and removed from TJ I still like a lot of what i see in lance mccullers but again i had to pair all of that risk keller molly mccullers with sort of more reliable guys and that's where sort of charlie morton comes in and you know, drew that's
0: pomeranz. Where...
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, at some point with drew pomeranz i was like man i just got to get i got to get some relievers on fm if my whole goal is to like try to win now I can't just sit here with, with no relievers though. I probably would have waited m- many, many, many more picks to, to grab some guys that I thought were, were upstarts, but I, there's, there's a few guys on my, on my pitching staff that are going to pitch innings. Another one is Justice Sheffield um, and, and Marcus Stroman and, and Charlie Morton, you know, I, Stroman's had some injury issues, but I think the year off and what I see happening in New York uh, right now is, is looking good. So it's not, it's definitely not the sexiest pitching staff. It doesn't have anything that's super high octane, maybe beyond Burns, but what it does have is a lot of guys who can take that next step. Um, And I feel that way about Alicia Hernandez, who I took very late. I feel that way a little bit about Justice Sheffield. I think Domingo German can come back into a very weird situation in New York and be good again. But that's really what I went for is guys who are not at risk of losing their jobs who could take steps forward all at once. You know, and every single one of those guys you mentioned, except for, um, actually no, Stroman's 29. Every single one of those guys is under 30. So there's still a lot of time for them to figure it out. And I feel like at least a couple of them are going to explode in value this year, which ones not exactly sure. Um, But yeah, that's, that's sort of my explain myself pitching staff. I, I waited a long time, and then once I started taking them, I just had to keep keep doubling down. But my hitting was, you know, incredibly secure. And there was a lot more, you know, if this if this draft went many more rounds, I would have picked up guys like Mike Miner. You know, I would have picked up uh, I would have picked up that sort of old pitcher. I would have picked up a Michael Pineda. You know what I mean? I would have picked up that type of pitcher to support the risk that I'm taking with some of these young guys who are going to be able to strike dudes out, but maybe are not going to give me anywhere close to 200 innings in a full season. Um, so yeah, man, that's uh that's sort of what I was doing there. And uh, a lot of those dudes are, are pitcher list sort of darlings, depending on who you talk to. I mean, we got a lot of heads at pitcher
0: list, so you can find a hater and a lover for almost any player. Um, but yeah, that, I tend, that's... I to be a hater all the way around, no matter who it is, including my own team. Now, I want you to hate on my team just a smidge, if that's okay. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah, please. All right, so we're going to compare your pitching staff to my pitching staff, because I went in a little bit of a different direction, also with a lot of like question marks but we we kind of waited uh I went a little bit earlier a quicker than you did right Mm -hmm. all right so I have Jose uh, Barrios I took in the seventh Kyle Hendricks I took in the eighth I feel like those are two nice floor pitchers right like they're going to give me the innings I need uh in order to continue on they're not going to be wonderful but they're going to they're definitely going to be good now here come all the question marks Frankie Montas Herman Marquez. Now, keep in mind, you don't say a single bad word about Armand Marquez, but let's keep going. Frankie Montas, Armand Marquez, Chris Sale, Corey Kluber, Chris Bassett. Now, of those names that I just listed, which one's going to blow up in my hand the most? Which grenade is going to blow up in my hand?
1: Ooh, that's interesting. You know, I, th- I think it's actually Chris Sale um, because I am worried about his ability to come back. And so I think there's a potential big zero there. Now, you didn't take him that early, right? So you didn't risk a huge pick on him. You took him 183rd overall. So that's not crazy. I'm not going to sit here and say Herman Marquez because I love Herman Marquez. And I'm, I I am, I liked you. Dude, I am, love him. I am happy. To take him for half of his starts, he's another one of those guys from the bloom boards that if you remove one of his starts, where I'm pretty sure he gave up nine earned runs, mm-hmm. that he looks a lot better. And you look at those the, the pitch data that comes from him; he's on every single one of those lists. So the curveball that that induced this many whiffs, the whatever it is, like he's on the list. And we have never been closer to a Herman Marquez trade than we are right now. We have never been closer to getting him out of Coors, and he's the kind of pitcher. What is he? 25 right now. He's the kind of pitcher. Um, that could absolutely explode. So he's the opposite of that.
0: I I'm I glad to turn off the lights and light some candles. Let me get going here. You are getting me all excited. All right, keep going. Right.
1: Yeah, I, I love her. Marquez. Um the I'm glad you called Jose Barrios, Jose Barrios, a floor pitcher because I've been waiting for that next gear and I don't think it's gonna come. I, that was a pick that I was like, oh wow, that's you know, that's, it. it's reliable and, and you're probably going to get that 180 inning plus season. And the winds are probably going to be there because of the, the twins able to score twins are able to score runs. Um But that, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm glad you called him a floor pitcher. Montas is an interesting one. I think Montas, I could go either way on because he had those injuries that sort of, he didn't look right last year. Right. But And, and, and his arsenal didn't perform like it did the year before. And then you have that cloud of the, the PED suspension and what role that was playing. I don't actually think that was making his stuff better, but it may have been helping his recovery, whatever it is. I'm not a doctor, Um, but he could go either way. Montaus could really return to form for me. And he struck out 13 dudes uh, at the end of last season in a start where he, you know, was pretty dominant. So he gave us that little, little nugget at the end of the year, um, Kluber is definitely one who could maybe pitch you five innings, right? Like that's very possible um, when it comes to when it comes to what you got. I actually liked your Bassett pick late because I think Bassett's he's a compiler. You know, he's someone that's gonna that's gonna go out there and and pitch you five six decent innings per start, and you got him very late. You got him pick three forty six. Um, so that's the kind of thing that can help support that uh, that risk. But I definitely would not be touching Chris Sale with. I mean, pick a length of pole that you want and I'm not touching them with it. Um, so that's that's sort of my take on your pitching staff. I obviously like Hendricks. Hendricks has never been bad. It's just... It, 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 Hendricks is getting a little bit of that uh, that Nolan Arenado treatment. Well, people are like, "Oh yeah, it's Kyle Hendricks," and it's like, "You mean the guy who's n- literally never been bad his entire career and has always pitched well? I don't care that his fastball is 88 miles an hour; it doesn't matter. He's just one where the results just just trump everything." So
0: really, like 2017 Jose Quintana vibes. You know what I mean? Like he's just underrated, always very stable, like always going to be the guy you want him to be, and and that's kind of where I'm at with Kyle Hendricks, but. Yeah, it's interesting. So you said Chris Sale is, is the grenade that'll blow up in my hands. I tend to agree with you. He's 31 years old, coming back from Tommy John. He could come back and not be the guy, the dominant self that everybody knew Chris Sale to know and love. Absolutely. I think at pick 183, I had a hard time turning away from him, especially with my pitching staff the way it was. Um, you know, and I expect him to pitch half a season next year. And if, you know, honestly, in my mind, if this was a situation and I were drafting him and he, he pitched half a season. He was dominant. I would probably go into 2022 being like, hey, who wants Chris Sale? Anybody interested in Chris Sale? And try to move him as quick as I could just yeah. to try to retool that. But but that's kind of what, what my mindset was there is I'm taking guys like Corey, uh, Chris Sale and Corey Kluber, even Frankie Montas, and saying, look, I'm getting these guys at value for taking them as late as I am. And if either one of them pop and perform, then I'm going to go ahead and try to flip them for value as quick as I can to try to recoup that in some other way in, in either obtaining a higher level value by packaging them with somebody or moving them on and trying to retool for whatever first year player draft that I have coming up in 2022. So,
1: Yeah. I mean, I like, I like Sale as a take him, let him get healthy, let the, let the Red Sox baby him a little bit. And when he comes out and strikes out eight dudes in three innings in his first start, and then gets pulled, trade him immediately, trade him for a bunch of prospects, trade him for someone who's like, "Oh, I'm going to go for it this year. Cause I'm doing well and get him off your roster after he's, he's returned, you know, a lot of that value. The thing about Chris sale, which, which I, I've seen, you know, some people go through the pain of when a pitcher who should be good is not very good at all. And there were some starts where Sale suffered from that in his last time pitching. You're still throwing him and you're just eating it, right? Like there's other guys who you're going to sit because you don't necessarily have uh, a faith in their abilities, but you know exactly when to start them. And Chris Sale is a guy that if you have on your roster, you have to start him and you're going to throw him potentially in situations where he is going to get blown up. So that's, that's sort of what I, what I see with, uh, with Chris sale, but you know, pick 183. I can see why it was hard to let him go. I can see why you're sitting there being like this guy, when healthy, when right is one of the best pitchers in baseball, full stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, there was a couple of picks that you took late in terms of, you know, and and I just wanted to highlight some big value. Uh, I think you got, depending on he's got a sign, right. But that Yasiel Puig pick, pick 322 there, there's not many players you can take past pick 300 that could potentially return 2020 value. Yasiel Puig is definitely one of those dudes. And if, if the last rumor I, I heard was that he might sign with the Royals, if he signs with the Royals, they're just going to let him do whatever he wants. You're right. Like he's just going to, he's going to run as much as he wants. He can, and I think he can have fun with, with some of the guys that are there. Uh, so I, I liked that, that Puig pick a lot. You also took Gary Sanchez at pick 255. Now, what is your opinion of Gary Sanchez?
0: Not not a high one. I don't have a high opinion of him, but let's put it this way. He's one of the only catchers who can hit 30 plus bombs, right? And so his average was not nearly as bad as uh, it was last year, right? Like, and I know everybody's rolling their eyes and saying, okay, he's using average as the stat and whatever else, but like truth be told in most leagues that we have right now, most people are using average as at least one stat that they have in their league. And this is a league that we were using average as, as one of the five by fives, at least I believe so. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we were. It was sort of stay with standard. Right. And so, like, you know, his 2020 uh, information, right? His exit velocity was in the 89th percentile. His hard hit was in the 92nd percentile. His barrel rate was in the 97th percentile. Like, he whiffed. I don't know where his eyes were going and what he was doing there. That was all bad, very bad. But he can right the ship and he has in the past. I don't see it being a situation where his XBA is going to be 193, right? He's more of a two anywhere between 220 and 250, I would say 250 is probably a sweet spot. So I would look for him to return to form in that 2019 um, that 2019 range, right? Where he is, he's performing in, in a really, I, I would say in my mind, a very, very respectable way for a catcher hitting 30 plus bombs and having a 230 average. I'm fine with that. A 316 OBP is fine as well. So if I can get him to be near 2019 and farther away from 2020 um, and even 2020, uh, 2018, um, I, I'll bank on that. And maybe he's just an every other year dude, right? He's going to just be on his, instead of the even year BS that the giants are on, maybe it's just the odd year BS for Gary Sanchez, where he's just going to have that, that off year, and then he's gonna come back and perform well. Manny Machado's done some of the similar things, right? We just have players that change something about their swing plane, change something about the way that they do their plate approach and it screws with what they do. And then they return back to something that they normally do and it and it they perform better. So again, do I have a high opinion of Gary Sanchez? No, not at all. But then I look at the catcher situation and, and it's kind of a barren wasteland of, of sadness. Um, much like first base. So uh, I'm going to take them.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and and you're right about catcher being, being what it is. Uh, I, you know, full disclosure, I didn't even take a catcher. So that tells you how I feel about the position in general. If there are a few more rounds in this draft, obviously I would have slotted somebody in and I did take, you know, Francisco Alvarez uh, as one of my picks for my farm. But yeah, uh, I was looking at this roster and I was like, you know, if this was an actual team, I just wouldn't even have a catcher on my team. I just wouldn't even bother with it. Maybe if someone, you know, popped up that year, Ryan Jeffers, if you will, someone like that who can provide some value. And there does seem to be someone every year at that position who's like, oh, he's not terrible. I'll roster him in for a little bit. Right. That's probably what I would have looked to do. Um, but yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even fill that part out of my roster because catcher, catcher bothers me so much that it's just, you just have to take that L um, for the most part. And, and Sanchez I mean- does at least give you one thing.
0: Agreed. And and I'm looking at players that were taken before Gary Sanchez, right? Alejandro Kirk was taken in the 19th round, 227 overall. Joey Bart was taken in the 18th round, 210 overall. And I, I like Sean Murphy just fine. Sal Perez has question marks, but he was taken in the 16th round overall. And then Travis took – Travis, you, you guy – took uh, Adlai Reichman 99th overall in the ninth round. Like I'm not taking any of those players before Gary Sanchez. I think that they're all around the same value of Gary Sanchez. Reichman probably might be up this year. Joey Bart was up, but he wasn't very good. And that's going to take some time. And Alejandro Kirk's going to play what? Like maybe a third of the at-bats for Toronto's uh, catcher platoon this year? I mean, there are other names still there. So, so I I just don't see other players that went before him that I'm overly excited about.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's definitely true. Um, I feel like with Kirk, it's interesting, the timing of these mocks and then things happening in real baseball. I think the Kirk pick looked a little bit better when, when this mock happened after, and, you know, now that they've filled out a little bit more of that roster and they've added some veterans that are going to not, be pushed off of the lineup by alejandro kirk i do you know i do think it'll be interesting to see i really want desperately i would like the blue jays to trade rowdy to les and whoever they want for herman marquez that would be what i'm looking for to happen i don't necessarily think it's going to happen but that would be a dream scenario i i mean i think kirk's gonna out outdo um danny jansen i think danny jansen has shown show that he's doesn't really necessarily have the offensive chops to hold up and, and Kirk's going to be able to play a lot of DH, but with the addition of semi with the addition of Springer, since this draft, it's a little bit murky in terms of his playing time. And with Kirk, his window to be good is very small because he is very big, right? Like he is, he's Pablo Sandoval behind the plate and Pablo Sandoval came up and was absolutely great for several seasons. And then just Despite the bat, to ball skills never able to maintain that because he was never able to maintain his body. And Kirk is just one of the most bizarre bodies, you know, in baseball—a little teeny, two hundred and sixty-pound, five-foot-nine tank um, who just can put bat on the ball. So I, I was looking for Kirk, you know, as one of my uh, catching options, and I thought he would uh, not go as high as he did. And I wasn't willing to spend that that level on him, you know, in the in the mid two hundreds.
0: Kyle, who do you find more attractive, Williams Ostudio or Alejandro Kirk?
1: Alejandro Kirk. Mm, um, interesting.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, so, Not as like a baseball player, but just as a human.
1: Oh, as a human being? Yeah. Oh, wow. See, now that's a question. Yeah. Interesting. I think... They're both thick boys. They're both very thick boys. I think I'm honestly going to say Williams. Mm-hmm. Williams, not only did Williams come up, you know, playing for my hometown minor league team, the Rochester Red Wings, he brings an energy that I have yet to see out of Kirk. And I think that energy, I would just, I want to play on a baseball team with Williams. You know what I mean? I definitely want to, the way he runs with that weird tongue thing, giving him that Tortuga, you know, that, that turtle nickname. The hair is amazing. The hair is like, it's got a little, you know, Sarah's vibe. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, it's the flowing curls and the way he runs yeah, I'd have to I have to pick Williams. And, you know, on top of that, Williams can play every position and probably pitch I and mean, at least be willing to. So, yeah, I'm going down. I'm going down
0: Williams on that. I'll, I'll die on that hill for sure. I'm going to I'm going to petition this uh, podcast title to be Who'd You Rather, Williams or Alejandro?
1: Oof, that's good. I think yeah. that's good. Yeah, okay. I like that a lot. I can tell you've done this before.
0: Uh, once or twice. All right. So, so, uh, so who do we got next? What, where do you want to go? We got, uh, you know, a few minutes left here before the bewitching hour. Cause it is, it is almost too late here on the East coast.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean um, let's uh, you know, I think we've, we've talked about the draft. We talked about our teams, our strategy. That's solid. What I want to do is, is, is play a little prospect survivor. I want to give you four names and I want you to tell me who you're voting off the Island. And I don't mean who you're bringing from the Dominican Republic to, to stateside to play in the majors. I, you know, who who are you, if given these four, you're, you're not taking, you're not touching, whatever it is, you're getting rid of them, you have to pick. So are, are you willing to, to snuff some torches tonight? I, I will
0: absolutely play this game with you.
1: All right. So here we go. I tried to pick some guys that were different, playing some different positions definitely some pitchers and some hitters and, and around the same areas of a lot of lists. Obviously it depends on the list you're looking at, but anyway, let's head to it. So four players first, Louis Matos, San Francisco, Peyton Burdick, Miami Marlins, Jordan Belazovic of the Minnesota twins and old man, high schooler, Brett Batty, Brett Beatty of the, of the, the New York
0: Metropolitans. So, uh, who are you voting off the island of those for um i am anti-pitching prospect uh nine nine days out of the week uh so i'm gonna go with jordan belazovic uh, mm. i'm voting off the island i uh wrote up the giants um the top 50 prospects i am i am big on luis matos i yeah. think that he is going to be very interesting very quick i think that he's going to open up a lot of eyes uh, I'm a big fan of Peyton Burdick as well. That dude is ripped. He just looks like he's going to punish some balls. And I am I am all in on Miami's uh, player org development at this point. Um, and then Brent Beatty, uh, don't love him. Uh, but again, if I'm going to go for uh, just my, my brand, uh, I am off on pitchers more than not, especially prospect pitchers. Um, you know, anytime that we have, Uh, And and actually, you know, I feel bad because I drafted Mackenzie Gore as my only pitching prospect, but I'm only going to go with the top end guys and I'm not going to uh, plumb the depths to try to find that, you know, number 15 or even the number five overall prospect within an organization who might be some right hander that may or may not end up being a fourth starter, um, three years down the road so while I like Jordan Blazavik, I you know, we had discussed this earlier. I think both of our approaches when it comes to dynasty is to buy pitching um, or have like, you know, aged pitchers that are established uh, more so than trying to buy the hype early. Jesus Lazardo, A.J. Puck, Forrest Whitley come to mind. Um, I'm not going to go in on that. So I'm voting off Jordan Blazevic. Yeah. I
1: mean, I I think, as you say, that is very on brand. I I tried to pick a pitcher that I thought, well, one, I had to play around those, those ranks. Right. But I'm a big Blazevich fan. Um, And a lot of that stems from, I, I tend to favor, when it comes to pitching prospects, when it comes to trying to find them, the ones that I gravitate to that I think hit more often than not, or at the very least perform well in the minor leagues and allow themselves to give your team trade value are dudes that have high pitch ability and very, very, very good control. And Belazovic, you know, has, has both of those aspects in, in spades and you can, you know, you can sell somebody on his 14 K to nine that he posted uh, in the minor leagues. And um, yeah, but I, I do agree. I, I would avoid the pitcher here as well. That said, I would vote off Brett Batty. Cause I, I, I did the Mets top 50 um, this year and there's just something I don't love about his swing. And I don't love, that he was already 19 coming out of high school when he was drafted, which makes me question some of the production there being older than his competition. And then he's actually one where the lost season for me would be, would be sort of, I'd be worried about that just because of his sort of development, how should you say timeline and arc? Um, I am, I like you, I'm in love with Luis Matos. Um, I just, hitters like that who can't even help themselves, but put the bat on the ball Hitters who can walk more than they strike out. I mean, I am a Gary Sheffield truther. And one of the reasons that that is the case is because despite that violent swing, you couldn't strike him out. And, and I, I sort of love that. I always hated that aspect of power, power hitters where, you know, you're going to be Jim Tomei actually famously dropped Jim, Jim Tome in one of my early fantasy baseball leagues after he went over five with 5k. Cause I was just like, this is unacceptable. You're off my team. He went on to have his best statistical career on record uh, a year on record, but that is neither here nor there, sir. That is neither here nor there. So yeah, Louis Matos is someone that that I have a lot of shares of and I think his profile is awesome. And, and the giants are doing a lot of great development stuff with, uh, with their outfielders right now with Canario and, and uh uh, you know, and then obviously the infield as well. Luciano and, and Marco Luciano. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they're they're killing it. And it was it definitely was tough with Burdick because I like Burdick a lot. Um, but yeah, I'm voting Beatty off, and I'm I'm taking I'm taking my shots with Belazovic. So, yeah. Well, I appreciate you. Uh, you know, tell me which torch you're snuffing, and I guess we'll see Jordan Bulasovic down the road somewhere. Maybe he's on Exile Island. Who knows. Well, yeah, man. Uh, with that, I feel like we have uh, hacked each other's teams apart pretty well. I feel like we've we've had to answer some
0: questions for some from interesting picks. We've should we, should we before we break? Should we say who, what uh, what pick we hated for Andy? What was, oh yeah, absolutely. Was the worst Andy pick.
1: I think we should. I think we should lump Huth in there as well. I think yeah, we should think- worst 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 Patton worst Huth. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Let's see what do we got here for for Andy Patton. I think. He reached
0: significantly for Dansby Swanson. Yeah. What an embarrassment, Andy. Jesus.
1: What are we doing? I mean, come he, on, Andy, you're just buying into 2020 hook, line and sinker. Like, yeah. you know, what are, what are we talking about here? He's solid. But I mean, what's he giving you? And you already had Javier Baez. Right. I mean, granted, you need a middle infielder,
0: but you can find a middle infielder. Come on, on, Andy. I don't know. I that was bad. I mean, Stephen Strasburg and whatever was going on with his hand last year. That doesn't sound good. He's been historically hurt. I don't know. Andy, I agree. Terrible. Yeah, Stephen Strasburg is.
1: I think he's had his best season. Right. What like an that's. Embarrassment. Yeah, I agree. Wow. I feel like we got to talk about we got to talk about Huth though. Who yeah, sets Trev, Trevor Huth? We got to just what an embarrassment. Let's, let's just. I mean, he was talking a lot of smack on Twitter, man. He was like, "Oh, my team's super that. good." This, that, and the other thing, and then he went and took Witt Merrifield, ninety-two overall. Yeah,
0: what is that all about? He's he's not even a steal any any bases this year. Alec Bohm is probably the second best third baseman on the Phillies. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know about that, uh, honestly. Probably <laughs> not true, but uh, anyway, come on, Trevor, get it together. Yeah, that's just that's bush league, frankly. Yeah. God, Witt Merrifield, one hundred. Marcus Simeon, what are you doing with Marcus Simeon in the 18th round, Trevor? Yeah. I don't even know. Like his <laughs> team, it's not a bad team. It's, it's
1: fine. Team. It's, it's, fine. Team. it's decent, but I just yeah, that went Merrifield. I don't understand Huth. You'll have to account and and you know atone for your sins uh, the next time you're on the pod, which hopefully is soon. Andy as well. They uh, Huth apparently has to get up and work, but you know it doesn't have the dedication that that our man Adam does. Obviously, mm-hmm. clearly. So, yeah, man, um, I think we I think we highlighted some good stuff. I think, you know, mock drafts are always interesting because people do a little bit. People don't have to hold the team. And I feel like that changes things just a bit. But you also get people taking some of their darlings. Right. And I think that can be fun. And, and getting people to, to sort of talk about that is is, is interesting because it's fun to tease out biases and why you are just can't get off a player type of thing. So, yeah, um, I, I really appreciate you coming on, Adam.
0: Hey, congratulations! You did it. Your first podcast is in the can. You did an awesome job, Kyle. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate
1: that. I, uh, with that though, I I think I will I will let you get to sleep. Is there is there anything you're
0: working on a picture list right now? You want to plug before we uh, pop off? I got a top fifty Astros coming out, and number four will will surprise you. Ooh, I don't know, honestly. I don't <laughs> know if it will or not, but we're just gonna we're gonna Buzzfeed that.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. You got you to gotta build hype even where there is none, much like the, this season in the Lost Minor
0: Leagues. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, congratulations, dude. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I assume you'll be on some other time in the future. To talk more about uh, prospects when we have a little bit more to dig into. Can't wait for spring training. Um, and for those out there, remember to give us a follow on Twitter at OnTheFarmPL. Uh, if you want to hit me up directly, you can find me at caught looking the Roman way. And uh,
0: Andy, what's your Twitter, buddy? Uh, no, uh, I don't. I no, don't know. Don't oh. I'm not on social media. Leave me alone. And if you have any comments, send them to Kyle.
1: Mm, I like that. Yeah, please direct all your your uh, your criticisms and, and concerns uh, towards <laughs> me. And, <laughs> uh, and I'll just filter what is necessary, you know,
0: back to him. But uh,
1: but yeah. <laughs> With that Join in the my-
0: Discord, everybody. Join the Discord and you can find me there.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Get, get down on that Pitcher List Plus before your drafts happen so you can smash the competition. And if you don't, well, happy drafting, everyone.
0: All right, good luck, everybody. Talk to you soon.